0: You're listening to Age of Reason. Brought to you by Frozen Frame Productions. Will we ever understand This complex genius This visionary thinker Will we ever get this close again the forces of our
1: universe.
0: Hey everyone and welcome to Age of Reason. Today is episode 42. It's uh, March 15th, 2019 and uh, I'm going to talk about philosophy today. It's going to be about argument validity, argument soundness. And then I'm going to review a video of a guy who... I don't know. I haven't seen, of course, most of his videos. It's just one. But in that video, he talks a lot about uh, argument validity. And for me, validity is just not enough. And for people who are interested, well, first of all, you can study about it on the internet. I took an online course from Duke University, which was very, very thorough, and it was about three months long. And it went through most of that stuff. So. Uh, I passed it with distinction, which i'm I'm proud of. I got like ninety eight percent or something, but you know, don't take my word for it. I mean that that's that would be a argument from authority, and sometimes that can be a fallacy as well. So anyway, just discover it for yourself. find out what it means. There are memes out there and they're just wrong, of course that that can happen very easily indeed. So for example, this one, it says agnosticism is always doubt, always question, challenges you to think with logic and reason. And then it talks about atheism and atheism is no doubt, no question, challenges you to disprove their lack of belief. And that's just not true. I'm sorry, but I'm sure some people can justify this in some way, but it's just not true as far as I'm concerned. And as I mentioned a couple of shows ago, people love to redefine terms these days. It's become a a pastime, a hobby for some people. And so some people redefine it this way. But to me, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to do that. What do I mean exactly by argument uh, validity and argument soundness? What does it mean? What does agnosticism mean? What does atheism mean? I have a series of images, actually. They're very similar, but they're just, you know, shown in a different way. So here we have uh, Gnostic Atheist, uh, Agnostic Atheist, and Agnostic Theist, Gnostic Theist. So you have to understand that Gnosticism has to do with knowledge. It's a position based on knowledge. And theism, and that's based on a position of belief. So that's not quite the same thing, of course. And if you notice on the diagram, uh, agnostic basically means uh, claims to know. So agnostic theist, for example, is for me kind of the worst kind of theist because first of all, they believe in God. And secondly, they claim to know that God exists for sure. Uh, You can see in fact in the picture that these people there at the edge, they they kind of walk. It's like these people who wiggle on the ground of a church, you know, uh, or cry at the altar without any self-control whatsoever. It just kind of looks like it. Okay, so here it's the same thing. It's just a different way of representing the same information. Uh, here they introduced the term of weak and strong. So you can be a strong Gnostic theist, you can be a weak Agnostic theist. But okay, here we go. So for me, for example, this is already kind of too much information. First of all, I don't like labels. Uh, I don't like to be called an atheist or a theist. Uh, But we have the labels, so we have to deal with that. However, there's no need to overcomplicate your life. Uh, We already have so many laws that exist, so many rules we have to follow, and then you're you're basically creating these extra set of rules which are very much drawn in the air. Uh, And it's, it's very kind of arbitrary. So anyway, I do not refer to... Terms like weak or strong that's just personally my way of dealing with things Uh, There's another diagram and this one is actually pretty good because I'm just gonna move a little bit to the side here Um, It says here in the corner implicit atheism I like that term because it says basically I have no opinion and you were born here. So we were all born implicit atheists We claim nothing And of course, you can see in the other parts, it's pretty much the same as the other diagrams. So um, agnostic theist, for example, I believe God exists and the existence is knowable. That for me is the most toxic form of theism out there. And agnostic atheist, on the other hand, means I do not believe in the existence of any gods. I don't have any knowledge of that either. And uh, this is important because there is also a burden of proof, and that's I'm going to talk about that in a second. So, uh, well, first of all, atheism, right? So a lot of people throw about atheism, the term atheism. The guy in the video I'm going to show you defines it in his own way. That's very interesting. So he defines it his own way, and then he proceeds to giving examples to basically explain a a fallacious position. But for me, atheism is, is quite simple. It just means a disbelief or a lack of belief in the existence of God or gods. Pretty simple. Don't have to demonstrate it because the burden of proof is not on me to do that. I'm not claiming that God does not exist. I'm just refuting the claim of theism that God or gods exist. That's all. Okay, so now we go to the burden of proof, and basically the burden of proof, a very basic explanation, is the obligation to prove one's assertion. So, what it means is that if you're claiming that God exists, you have to demonstrate it. It's basically, you have to prove a positive claim. Uh, So again, as an atheist, I don't claim that God does not exist. Then I would have to find a way to demonstrate it. But... I'm just refuting your claim. Your claim is the original point and that's very important here. All right, you can find all the stuff on the internet. I'm going to do a very quick description here of argument validity and argument soundness. I'm going to give some examples for both and I'm going to try to explain why validity is just not enough. Uh, it, It is just not sufficient. So validity means an argument is valid when if all of its premises were true. That's an important sentence, this. If all of its premises were true, then the conclusion would also have to be true. In other words, a valid argument is one where the conclusion necessarily follows from the premises. It is impossible for the conclusion to be false if the premises are true. So the key word here is if. So we're not concerned with the actual reality of things. We're just concerned in the possibility. So validity deals with possibility. Is it possible that giving a certain amount of premises that the conclusion is true? Then we'll see. So here we have some examples. And the way that you represent an argument is this, but this is one form. You can use anything as long as you can explain it. So here, we basically, these are the premises here, and we usually put number them. It's not necessarily in an order of importance. It's just to give them a kind of variable. So here, number one, premise one is all round things are basketballs. Premise two is the earth is round. And therefore, the conclusion is the earth is a basketball. So giving these premises, the conclusion is actually valid. So that's what I'm saying. It can be absolutely insane valid, sure, but absolutely not sound and not realistic. By the way, if you're doing this on a on a PC anyway, I'm not sure what it is on on a Mac, but if you want this symbol and this symbol with the three dots means therefore or in conclusion, uh, you can do that by I should say holding ALT key, you hold the ALT key and you type on the numeric keypad 8756 in order and release it, release the Alt key, and you'll have the symbol. Anyway, that's just a kind of aside. Here's another example. Uh, premise one is all actors are robots. Because again, we're not dealing with the truth, the true things. We're just dealing with possibilities. So all actors are robots. Premise two is Tom Cruise is an actor, and therefore Tom Cruise is a robot. It it has to be. If all actors are robots and he's in that category of robots, then he is a robot as well. Okay, uh, next one. This one is pretty funny. So again, with validity, you can get some really funny ones. So I recommend you get online and you actually search um, examples of funny valid arguments, something like that. Uh, Number one is Jesus can walk on water. I can walk on cucumbers. Cucumbers are 96% water. Therefore, I am 96% Jesus. So again, it's really funny. It's absolutely ridiculous. And yet it's valid. Again, it doesn't have much relevance in the real world. But it is mostly just to have your brain working, I guess. It's a good logic test to see what is uh, valid or, or not. But that's about... That's about all it can do. So let's talk now about soundness. Now this is important. Now an argument is sound if it meets these two criteria. Number one, it is valid. So you have to have a valid argument. If it's not, if it's invalid to begin with, there's no way it can be sound. Okay. And of course, number two, its its premises are actually true. So they have to be absolutely true, uh, and you know, real, like real stuff. I'll give you some examples. In other words, a sound argument has the right form and it is true. So here's an example, and it's pretty, very simple, of course. Uh, Premise one, Quebec is part of Canada. Uh, uh, Premise two, Patrick was born in Quebec. Therefore, the conclusion is, logical conclusion, Patrick was born in Canada. And we know that this is true. Because Quebec is indeed a part of Canada, and we can find that Patrick was born in Quebec using his birth certificate or something like that. Uh, Therefore, the only possible conclusion, and the only true conclusion, is that he was indeed born in Canada. Here's another example. All monkeys are primates. All primates are mammals. Therefore, all monkeys are mammals. Arguments of this form are going to be uh, valid and sound. And Indeed, we can verify that monkeys are primates. All primates are mammals, indeed. And therefore, the logical conclusion is all monkeys are mammals. And that's it for this slideshow. So let's jump into the video and I'm gonna stop it and comment when it's outrageously wrong.
1: This actually is one that I'll be doing um, on atheism and the burden of proof. This is going to be a kind of a Q&A session if you want to ask me questions, because this was kind of um, a couple, couple of arguments kind of rolled into one. Uh, I've been in different groups trying to get people to actually provide a counter or a retort to this particular argument. Unfortunately, none have been provided any sufficiency. None of
0: them have provided any sufficiency, but that's sufficiency for you. That's the thing. So you have to be very careful when you do these kind of videos on the internet, because people will attack you for, uh, well, many things, actually. People attack me for all kinds of things all the time. I mean, if I go on polit- politics groups, for example, I get smeared as a, as a Putin bot. Uh, it happens quite often. Uh, just as long as I'm not in a, with the mainstream media, then that's it. I'm already out of the category, and that happens to a lot of people, actually, unfortunately. So again, when people define something, um, you have to be very careful because uh, you're, you're running in a danger of creating your sort of cult. Uh, the, the, you're at the top. You created your definitions there and then other people have to follow your definitions. And that, that's a very uh, tricky area
1: for a broadcaster to be in. Uh, Most of them are just met with memes. Oh, you're just an idiot, Steve. You have no idea what you're talking about. You know, basal stuff like that. Um, What they don't realize is that everything that I put forth in these groups, I've already ran through my own group, which is a group called the Great Debate Community, which has about, I don't know, 60, 70 PhDs in that particular group. Okay, but again, that doesn't matter.
0: I don't care if you have 200, 300 PhDs in your group. First of all, I don't even know what you're talking about with them. and, and secondly, it doesn't really, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Look, I know some actual climate scientists. Uh, I get a lot of my information directly from them or from people associated with them. Uh, and, I mean, I don't see the, this thing. It's an ar- it's a f- argument from authority. Uh, again, you're asking people to, to believe a certain group of other people. Based on their PhD, PhD is not God, you know it, it it's not the ultimate thing. Uh, a lot of um, Christian scientists who believe in absolute nonsense, they have a PhD sometimes and they they just spend a lot of time writing books. but that doesn't make them credible. Just because
1: they have a PhD doesn't ex- necessarily make you a credible person. People will will verify these arguments at least. Um, have some validity to them before I try to bring them on Facebook and uh, kind of run it that way. So they're not like the things I just pulled my ass. Now I understand that people may not understand these concepts right, right away, only for the fact that they've been so ingratiated with this, this narrative that atheism is only a lack of belief. Because that's all, you know, they're all, all they're told through American atheism and atheist experience. That's why I showed a very simple description of what
0: atheism means. Uh, It it means a a disbelief or a lack of belief in gods. There is no need to redefine certain terms. Uh, You know, you can do that perhaps as a kind of hobby or something, but I don't see any reason why you would do that. There's other ways to spend your time better, I'm sure.
1: You know what? I have it here. Let me check my, my calendar. Because it's going to be fun. Uh, yeah, it's going to be on the 13th at 2 o'clock uh, Pacific time, which is 4 o'clock Central. Um, I'm going to be on the ACA Discord uh, as a, as a uh, personality, YouTube personality that's going to be answering the questions for them. And that's going to be kind of fun. I'm looking forward to that.
0: By the way, people complain about my show that I ramble. How about this? Do people complain about him rambling? I wonder. Atheism and the Burn of Proof.
1: First, we have to establish what we mean by the Burn of Proof. Now, if you want to follow along, I've actually written a little bit about this on my on my blog. But for, for in a nutshell, the burden of proof and the burden of justification in epistemology is the same thing. There really is no distinction to be had. In other forms of of, of things like like legal terms, then the slightly there is because you have what's called a burden of uh, persuasion and a burden of production. A burden of production just means. Uh, do you have something to actually enough to even come forth with a case or to dispute a case? And a, and a burden of persuasion is, do you have an evidential enough evidence to convince the the jury or the judge? So if I have a persuasive argument, I'm actually going to be more burden of persuasion than anything else. But that's actually an evidential burden. When it comes to beliefs, because we're talking about things like atheism or theism, theism is the belief that God exists. Atheism in philosophy is the rejection or negation of that claim, or saying that literally theism is false, that there is no God. That's what is in philosophy.
0: I was saying that philosophy these days doesn't have as much relevance as it used to have. So uh, back then, sure, if you go back some centuries ago, uh, you can find some uh, philosopher-scientists. A lot of them were. Uh, They started with some kind of idea and they pursued the idea. So it's, it's more to do with thought. But unfortunately, since the advent of modern science, philosophy has really been reduced to basically just a bunch of people arguing about uh, you know, logical things. Um, when, in fact, when I was in high school, my teacher said that philosophers make their money by arguing with one another. It doesn't mean that... You know, you can start with a false position then. You can just argue your false position. And make money that way i guess but again i don't see any relevance
1: whatsoever it has to the real world now i understand that groups like aca and american atheists will define it as a lack of belief okay whatever my argument that i'll be having coming up here incorporates that it doesn't make a bit of difference matter of fact it actually relies on that other definition so The burden of proof is basically, if I hold to a particular belief, I need to justify that belief to myself in order to have it be rational. All that basically means is that I need to provide enough sufficient warrant to say that my belief is rational.
0: There is a category of people out there and they literally question everything. Okay. And I, I think it's good to question things, but you if you question literally everything every day of your life then you you must live some kind of paranoid existence really because i don't know you you cannot be at peace with any sort of information because everything is questionable right um so no uh, you if you have a burden of proof you have to justify it to other people that that's what it means you have to justify your positive claim to other people. So if you're walking around the street and you're shouting that uh, God exists and you're trying to convince people that God exists, you have to provide some kind of demonstration. Uh, if you can't do that, then I have absolutely no reason to believe you and honestly, I don't need to listen to you.
1: How you do that, that's long complicated story, I'll have that in another video. Um, I recommend people go f- Formulate your epistemic framework. Go look at what theory of knowledge you prefer, what theory of uh, justification you prefer, and what theory of truth you prefer. And there's a lot of them, and they're not easy. not going to front. Theory of truth alone will drive you to drink. Um, But formulate what you you think is a a decent way to epistemically justify something. But the burden of proof in that situation is to yourself. It's not to somebody else. If you have nobody else in the room, you still have a burden of proof to yourself if you have a belief. But but it doesn't
0: matter. That's the thing, because you don't you're not affecting anybody else's life. Uh, if you're just alone uh, in the world or in your room, um, you can believe in some really crazy things, and it will never leave the confines of your room. But uh, once you step outside into the real world, yes, that's what it means. Burden of proof. You have to justify your positive claim. You you can't just walk around and say ev- anything you want. And uh, just want people to believe you. That's
1: not how it works. Now, if you have a dialectic and you're in a two-party communication, right? And I have an interlocutor. That burden will move back and forth between the two. It's not a static thing that people think, right? Everybody knows this mantra that, oh, if I have a burden of proof, excuse me, if I have a claim, I have to provide a burden of proof for it. Yeah, everybody knows that, okay? That's just ridiculously basic. So we all know that if you have a positive assertion, you have to have a burden of proof. But in a communication between two people, in in the Tolemn method, uh, each person will bring to somebody to the table, each person will bring a counter-argument to the table. Okay, they can bring their counter-arguments
0: all they want, but one person is still gonna be... uh, They could both be wrong, by the way, that's the thing. Both people in the conversation could be wrong. Um, But if you're just going with a classic example, then uh, one person will be wrong and one person will be right. So, again, if somebody comes to you, brings to the table that God exists, I don't have to demonstrate that God does not exist. The burden of proof is not on me. He's making a positive claim. He has to provide some kind of way to demonstrate it. And theists can't do that. Uh, Trust me, they've been trying for uh, thousands of years, and they never, ever demonstrated even the slight chance that
1: a God exists. One person will argue that the proposition is true one person will argue that the proposition is false those each have their own unique burden of proof associated with them so when we say burden of proof we don't really mean we're proving something nothing is ever proven with a burden of proof it's an epistemic burden it's a burden of justification and unfortunately the misnomer or the burden of proof has been conflated with it and it's kind of stuck um it's unfortunate. One of the things in philosophy that um, I hate, that things kind of just don't make sense, but it's not really a proof. There's nothing proven when you say burden of proof. It is an episode. Okay. Again,
0: this, okay, this, we enter a territory of what I call a word salad. Uh, It's when you don't really know what you're talking about. And I think philosophy, philosophy in depth is a very difficult field and it's very easy to get uh, confused or just again, start this kind of word salad. And there are people who are experts at that. Um, for example, conservatives love this uh, Ben Shapiro guy, always quoting this guy. Uh, okay, Ben Shapiro is a guy who is from the far right. Uh, he works for Breitbart. Uh, he's an anti-education guy, which is not surprising that you know conservatives like him. And uh, it's a bunch of word salad. Again, even a better example is Jordan Peterson, who, again, uh, is a famous guy. Uh, I don't see why, though. Uh, Here is a guy who literally talks in ambiguous terms all the time. And he also claims that atheism causes loss of hair. So, I mean,
1: how serious are these people, really? It is an epistemic justification. So, why is it that atheists, of any type of definition, have a burden of proof? Okay, well, first of all, if you accept the philosophical definitions of atheism, clearly you are making a positive claim. You are saying that theism is false. You are saying that ontologically, which is means being or in the universe, there are no gods. If I make the assertion there are no gods in the universe, that has a burden of proof. If
0: you're making a claim that God does not exist, uh, then you have to a way to demonstrate it. yeah. So that's very difficult and we know that. Atheists know that. That's why we don't go there. We just don't. So the philosophical definition is great and everything, but um, I don't see how it's really relevant in the real uh, world. Why don't we just go with real world definitions and just kind of stop at that for now? There's no need to make your life more complicated
1: than it already is. Do I actually have to demonstrate there are no gods to meet that burden? No. OK, um, it's absurd to think that you actually have to demonstrate something to me to burden of proof, because when you're talking about things like this, where you have a proposition, you cannot demonstrate one way or another whether God exists. If- OK, but then
0: there's no way there's no reason to believe that claim. That's the thing. Um, yeah. So, OK, you can't demonstrate that the God exists. Then I don't have a reason to listen to you. I don't have a reason to believe your claim. That's it. We just move on to the next thing. If
1: if that was that easy, then it would have been done thousands of years ago. So there is no burden to be had by a theist to prove God, and there's no burden by an atheist to disprove God. That's not how it works at
0: all. Oh, really? Well, that's very interesting because again, uh, we have to listen to your word here. We have to trust your word that apparently now theists don't have a burden of proof. That's very new to me.
1: That's a very new idea. The burden is: Are you rationally able to justify your belief that god exists or are you rationally able to justify your belief that god does not exist either way though if you assert that the proposition of theism is true you have a burden if you assert that is false you have a burden i think that's kind of um uncontested i think that most people would probably agree with that straight up right so the question goes to then well what happens if you don't actually have a, pro- a position on the proposition for example, agnosticism. Agnosticism is defined by the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy as the, the state of being psychologically agnostic on a proposition. And there's two ways to define something. There's propositionally or psychologically. There's actually more, but for this particular discussion... That's,
0: that's not what it is. Uh, agno- like I showed in the beginning of the show, agnostic is a position of uh, knowledge. So if you're agnostic, uh, agnostic I should say, Uh, you claim to know. If you're an agnostic, you claim to not know. That's basically it. Again, there's no need to uh, conflate many things here. It's it's a pretty simple thing, actually. He says it's very difficult. But no, it's it's not. It's very simple. It's just people overcomplicate things all the time. I see it happen every day uh, on social media and everything like that. So again, there's no need to do that. But some people
1: do it. It's like their hobby or something. But the agnostic says, hey, I just don't answer this question because I don't assign a truth value. I don't think that they're odd and I don't think they're even, right? Because if I had a gumballs right in front of me and I said, hey, Brian Greener, are they even or odd? He has no justification to say that they're even or, or they're odd. He has no way of knowing, right? He's not justified rationally to say, hey, Steve, they're even. So the only real rational position that Brian can take, and yeah, I'm going to use you as an example, Brian, um, is that. You're agnostic on the proposition. You do not have any justification either way, so you don't assign a value to it. That's what it means to be agnostic on the proposition. So the question goes, well, does that that mean that you have a uh, justification burden? Well, yes, I think so. In this particular case, the agnostic has the burden of justification only for the fact that they're not having a burden on the proposition itself. The theist has the burden that they're saying is true. The atheist has the burden that it's false, again. Philosophical terms, um, but the, the agnostic—he has his own burden, right? I don't think an agnostic can get away with not having any kind of burden of justification.
0: Clearly, approaching things from a, only a philosophical point of view, but again, why don't we just address things from a real-world point of view for once? It's—it's uh, it's nice to to think, you know, philosophers are are thinkers, uh, but you have to you, you have to put that. Thought into practice, into the real world. If it has no application there, then it's it's worthless. Your your thoughts are worthless.
1: That's just how it works. A good example would be that reality is actually real, right? If I say, I'm taking it as an axiomatic assumption that the universe exists, a brute fact. Okay, as a foundationalist, which is one of my positions, I'm okay with that. Um, I think that all of us have to assume reality is real in some regards, or else we couldn't function. So it's universal. One hour and a half more, actually, of this. So anyway,
0: this is too long. Um, One thing I will say is, there's a contradiction there, because he says everything that we uh, see is real, but the universe is real. Okay, but if you're doubting everything, then shouldn't you doubt that the universe is not real also? Maybe we live in some kind of simulation or something. But I think it was actually pointed out on Atheist Experience. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we live in a simulation because these are the rules. The rules exist like laws of nature that we know. They exist and we have to play by the rules, by those rules, Um, it it doesn't matter what we imagine, other universes or... Well, it would have to be another universe, yeah, uh, with maybe a different set of rules. But we don't really have to bother about that at the moment. We'll deal with that when it comes. So that's what I'm saying. Philosophy, there's a lot of things in it which are just thoughts. But I want to see that more applied in real world situations. Honestly, I kind of tend to stick to the basics, but that's just me. Um, I, I do look at validity, but especially soundness. Uh, I look at logical fallacies, of course. That, that's kind of my number one thing I, I like about philosophy. Logical fallacies. Um, but the rest, though, unless you're a lawyer or some, again, some kind of writer, philosophical writer, that has a very niche um, customer base, I don't really see what what we can do with that. So, uh, okay, that's it for today's show. I probably could have covered more things, but really it's just more of the same. And uh, um, my conclusion is, look, don't overcomplicate your life. Uh, There are so many things, so many laws and rules that exist in society already. uh, And uh, you would put even more pressure on yourself if you're, really diving deep into philosophy and sometimes you would just keep thinking and thinking and thinking and it would just keep going and going without an end product. And for me, the end product is is very important. I, I need stuff to to be finished. So I, I hate when things are open. Anyway, on that note, I just want to remind you uh, that my book is available on Amazon. Please get it, Beyond the Obscure. Nothing to do with the show. It's a psychological horror uh, thriller story. I sent it to a film festival, actually, but they reviewed books for some reason. I hope I I win something. And uh, please check out my art on Redbubble. I'll try to do a show next week. Uh, Probably I will jump back into climate change. So um, until then...